Some say that alongside this see-it-to-believe-it world is the shadowy realm of the supernatural. Sometimes the residents of that dimension touch us, and in one moment, our lives are changed forever. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, Mary Ann Pohl, is your real ghost chatter host. On this podcast, you'll hear stories by real people who have seen real ghosts. Once in a while, Mary Ann will podcast a tale taken from the genre she loves best, the supernatural. Welcome to today's Real Ghost Chatter episode. America's Lady of Supernatural Thrillers, a charter member of a wonderful group of authors, which is named Author Masterminds, and your host on Real Ghost Chatter. If you'd like to know more about me or my books, please visit my website at www.maryannpoll.com. You can find out more about Author Masterminds at www.authormasterminds.com. Today I'm here to report on some hauntings I find interesting. Of course, I find most hauntings interesting. The first is the Sultan's Palace in New Orleans, Louisiana. The Sultan's Palace on 715 Dauphine Street in New Orleans, Louisiana is also known by other names. The Gardette La Prite House, the House of the Turks, and of course the Sultan's House. The building in the French Quarter looks much like other mansions and structures there, so it's easy to chalk it up to another old building that adds charm to New Orleans until you hear the rumors. Joseph Colton Gardette, a dentist from Philadelphia, built the house on Dauphine Street in 1836. In 1839, he sold the house to a wealthy plantation owner named John Baptiste Laprite. Laprite used the residence as a second home to spend the cooler months when he could afford to leave the plantation. During the Civil War, Laprite fell on hard times and rented the house to supplement his income. Prince Suleiman, a Turkish man who claimed to be a sultan of a Middle Eastern country, rented the property from Laprite. Suleiman moved in, installed new locks on all the doors, blocked the windows, and completely redecorated the house. Suleiman moved several women, family members, children, and servants into the new home. Turkish guards patrolled the house regularly, and no one was allowed on the property without Suleiman's approval. Suleiman threw extravagant parties that filled the house with music, dancing, and incense, and some say opium. So much incense, the neighbors said the scent filled the neighborhood. The frivolities went on for a while. Then a neighbor passing by one morning noticed that the house seemed unusually quiet. No guards patrolled the house. The front gate, always locked, stood open. Curious, the neighbor went through the gate and saw blood oozing from underneath the front door, dripping down the stairs and filling the uneven stones of the sidewalk. The neighbor went to the police. They reportedly found body parts scattered around the house. Blood saturated the floors. No one in the house survived. Women, children, servants, and even the guards had all been slaughtered, beheaded, and dismembered. The sultan was not among the dead. His absence was a mystery. Then something in the courtyard caught the eye of one of the policemen. It was a hand straining toward the sky from beneath the dirt. It was the sultan, and he had been buried alive. No one ever identified the killers, but there were a lot of speculations. Some blamed pirates. 
but their murders didn't fit the pirate modus operandi. After further investigation, it was discovered that Prince Suleiman wasn't a sultan himself, but the brother of one. It seems Suleiman had stolen from his brother and then fled the country to start a new life. His brother tracked him down and executed him, along with everyone else in the house. It is also worth note that the murders supposedly committed on Dolphin Street cannot be verified. There is nothing in old newspapers. The only confirmation is the legend handed down over the last almost 200 years. Regardless of the murders occurring or not, several people report hauntings. One owner of the Gardette Laprite house, now a collection of apartments, admitted that odd happenings occur in the building, like keys that disappear only to reappear later. People continue to report the smell of exotic incense on the street outside the building. Tenants claim to have seen the spirit of the Sultan himself, dressed in robes and a turban, standing at the foot of their beds. Many blame vengeful ghosts for the falling death of a woman hanging laundry on an upper balcony floor. People report seeing the veiled faces of the slain members of the harem peering mournfully out of the upstairs windows. Ghosts of the Sultan's entourage are said to move about the building and the sounds of footsteps are heard running about in panic or climbing upstairs. And then there are the screams, specifically cries in the middle of the night, possibly lending credence to the night of horror in the Sultan's palace. Further, in 1979, Frank D'Amico's wife lived in the penthouse of the building on the upper floor. As she described the event, Mrs. D'Amico climbed into bed and almost immediately witnessed a dark figure standing at the foot of her bed. It approached her gliding over the floor. She panicked, I would too, <laughs> and scrambled to turn on the lamp sitting on her bedside table. The lights lit up all of the dark corners of her bedroom. No one was there. The dark figure vanished as quickly as it had appeared. One resident of 716 Dauphine reports going down the stairs to do laundry and watching his dog shoved down the flight of stairs by an unseen force. He says his dog also refuses to enter the living room unless brought inside by himself. Animals reportedly have a sixth sense in sniffing out ghosts and spirits, and it seems that this dog certainly knows that something isn't quite right about the former Sultan's palace. According to historians and paranormal enthusiasts like James Caskey, there seem to be two main ghost hauntings in the Sultan's palace, and it's unlikely that either one is a result of the purported bloodbath in 1836. The first is that of a Confederate soldier who still haunts the house in his military uniform. The second is the spirit of a woman who probably lived in the house at some point in time. Maybe the one who fell while hanging her laundry out to dry? Maybe. The ghost of the Confederate soldier remains both mysterious and interesting. No Civil War battles were fought in the local area of New Orleans. It may seem strange then that the so-called Sultan's Palace is haunted by one. The Sultan's Palace is a private residence and you cannot go inside. There are, however, several ghost tours around New Orleans that will pass by the area, tell you the chilling story, and give you even more information about who may be haunting the Sultan's Palace. The second haunting is the Gim House in St. Louis, Missouri. Built in 1890 by Bart Adams as a summer home, the house on Plant Avenue in St. Louis, Missouri is known by the second owner's name, Henry Gim. Gim lived in the house from 1906 until 1944. He died in the 1950s from spinal cancer at a local hospital. By all accounts, Henry Gim was a bit eccentric. Examples. He owned railroad cars and, in the early 1900s, he leased many of them to traveling circuses. He dealt in gold coins and hid them in different places on his property. The first indication of a haunting was in 1956 
when S.L. and Fannie Fury bought the house. When S.L. and Fannie Fury bought this house in 1956, the first supernatural incidents emerged. Fannie Fury reported, one, being shaken awake at 2 a.m. while sleeping, two, hearing hammering sounds on her headboard. The banging was so loud, she was sure the headboard broke. When she turned on the light, it was undamaged. Three, a thumping against the windows at night, but she could never identify the source. Four, finding a heavy wall sconce lying on the floor. Five, the sound of footsteps going up and down the stairs at all times of the day and night. She felt like someone was searching for a lost possession. Soon, other family members experienced eerie incidents. S.L. reported awakening to see a misty form drifting, then gliding into the hall. S.L. followed the enigma into his youngest daughter's bedroom, where the mist vanished. The Fury's three-year-old daughter, she reports, she asked her parents about the older woman dressed in black who came into her room at night. Fanny questioned her. The young girl said she was talking about a lady who had a little boy with her. Later, she told her mom sometimes this woman spanked her with a broom, but it didn't hurt. The couple, having endured the ghostly activity for nine years, decided it was time to move. The next family to move in was the Walsh family. They moved in in November 1965. Their 10-year-old Wendy and 20-year-old Sandy came with them. They did not know of the hauntings. Claire Walsh reports, One evening, the family dog accompanied them to the kitchen. Unexpectedly, the canine cowered and began quivering. Right after, Claire watched a white misty form sail into the living room and hesitated for a moment before it vanished. She heard footsteps traveling in the house at night. She too felt as if a person was looking for something. Claire felt a presence before hearing rapping on the bedroom window. Claire also sensed the spirit of a little blonde-haired girl in the attic. She also heard children running up and down the stairs and found writing made by a child with a handprint. Claire decided to research the history of the house. She asked the neighbors, Mr. and Mrs. Kuru, if anything strange had happened in the place. The Kurus told her they considered buying her home they didn't. It seems the man across the street frequently stayed in the home. He told the Carews he believed it to be haunted. Claire talked to the man across the street. He said Gim had valuables in various places in the house, and he was sure it was Gim's ghost returning to find his treasures. After this discussion, Claire thought about the house and the oddity of the attic door refusing to remain closed. She knew she had closed it. When she returned, it would always be open again. Her husband and daughters reported hearing footsteps and also hearing the door in the attic creak as it opened. She thought the best place to start to search for treasure would be there. Claire discovered that the stairs to the attic had a tread that opened and exposed a hiding place underneath. A treasure could have easily been hidden there at some point in the past. One day, Claire had an impulse to go to the attic. She found the door standing open. The last time that Claire had been there, everything was in order. She was shocked to discover everything was now out of order. A heavy chest of drawers stood open. One drawer was dangling on its side. Blueprints filled the bureau. When she inspected the prints, the name printed on them was that of Henry Gim. In March of 1966, Henry Gim's spirit appeared and directed Mrs. Walsh to a hidden doorway in the attic. Behind the door was a secret chamber, but it was empty. Rumor was Gim buried gold coins somewhere on the property. The activity increased. Now, Claire reported, the footsteps continued. She found the dining room's break front open and objects in its drawers rearranged. One day, Claire discovered her dresser open and her clothing scattered. Wendy told her mother she saw a person opening and closing her dresser drawers. The family heard muted cries. The typewriter in Wendy's room worked by itself. 
lights turned on and off randomly, and their dog became bewildered and scared. The family discussed the situation. They thought there were at least two ghosts, Gims and a child's. They decided to move. Presently, the Wheeler family and their three children live in the house. They feel it's haunted. The Wheelers had a dog who would stand at the top of the stairs with his nose pointed and tail raised in the air as if he were staring at something that they couldn't see. Their son Jack woke to the bed shaking on its own. He reported seeing the ghost of a man in old-fashioned clothes. Mysterious noises emit from the attic. Bedclothes are disturbed and there are indentations on mattresses as if an invisible entity is sitting or lying on them. A misty white form materialized in the pantry. Ghosts are believed to be Henry Gim, his wife, and a grandson who was six when he died. Wheeler said he initially thought about allowing investigations. On second thought though, he decided to live quietly and raise three children at the house. For years, he turned down interview requests. Haunted houses either die off or they get commercialized, Wheeler said then. We're glad ours isn't getting commercialized. The third is a report on haunted paintings. I find this so interesting. Sometimes I can't write an article better than one I come, come across. So falling is such a piece. The source it came from is the anomalian.com. And that would be A-N-O-M-A-L-I-E-N.com. In the world of haunted objects, there seems to be something extra creepy about haunted paintings. Perhaps it has something to do with the intimacy of a painted canvas or the timelessness of the medium. The subject's eyes seem to look deep into your soul and sometimes these eyes even follow you no matter where you go. The following is a collection of unique stories of paintings that brought with them some very dark forces that no one, and I mean no one, wanted in their home. The first is called the Hands Resist Him, or AKA, the eBay Haunted Painting. The Hands Resist Him is often referred to as the most haunted painting globally, seemingly for a good reason. It's incredibly creepy to look at, and it has a pretty comprehensively disturbing backstory. The Hands Resist Him is artist Bill Stoneham's homage to a photo taken of him when he was a child, with the title taken from a poem written by his wife. The painting, completed in 1974, is creepy enough on its own. Interviewed about it, Stoneham explains, The hands were all of the possibilities. You were left with the question, Are these disembodied hands? Are they dismembered, floating there in space? Or are they connected to bodies? Within only a few years of its completion, three men closely associated with the painting, including the gallery owner who first contracted it, and the patron, who was godfather actor John Marley, who first purchased it, were dead. The next couple to own the painting which was a California couple who struck no one as the type to make up paranormal stories, began to report incredible things. Namely, that the figures in the painting were moving around at night and sometimes disappeared from the canvas altogether. The couple reported dreams in which the boy in the painting entered the room where the painting was hung. Additionally, everyone who viewed the image reported feeling unwell. Infants cried upon being in its presence, Friends felt like unseen hands were lightly tickling them. The couple got rid of the painting and for the next 26 years, the hands resist him actually sat at the back of a California brewery turned art space. In 2000, the painting resurfaced in an eBay listing. Another family, perhaps the owners of the brewery, wanted to get rid of it and posted an eerily similar message regarding this painting. At the time, we wondered a little why a seemingly perfectly fine painting would be discarded like that. In parentheses, I will say, today they don't. One morning, our four-and-a-half-year-old daughter claimed that the children in the picture were fighting and coming into the room during the night. Since then, the legend has grown, with even online viewers of the painting reporting feeling sick, disoriented, and disturbed after looking at it. 
The next painting is called The Anguished Man. Is it paranormal activity caught on video? Sean Robinson's grandmother stored this creepy painting in her attic for 25 years. She claimed the artist who created it also haunted the picture. He reportedly used his blood as pigment and then committed suicide. Sean's grandmother further claimed to hear voices and crying sounds emanating from the attic, and the woman swore she once saw a shadowy figure of a man in her house that she felt to be the spirit of the artist himself. It was for these reasons that she had kept the anguished man locked in the attic for those many years. After his grandmother died, Sean inherited the painting <laughs> and took it to his home, where he lived with his wife and son. Immediately, Sean began reporting strange activity that was eerily similar to the stories from his grandmother, crying sounds and visions of a shadowy man. The activity escalated to the point where his wife began to feel that something was stroking her hair. After his son inexplicably fell down the stairs, the boy claims the presence pushed him, Robinson set up a camera overnight to try and capture the paranormal activity. One of Robinson's YouTube videos shows slamming doors, rising smoke, and the painting falling from a wall. You can find this on YouTube, and all you'll have to do is search for The Anguished Man, and I think you will find the YouTube video. The next one is called The Crying Boy and the Fires. Created by Italian painter Bruno Amadio, The Crying Boy was part of a series of mass-produced prints of weeping children staring straight ahead in distress. In 1985, strange stories began to surface about The Crying Boy in particular. According to a report in The Sun, a firefighter in England claimed that several copies of The Crying Boy had inexplicably survived dozens of house fires. The firefighter went on to say that neither he nor his fellow firemen would allow any version of the painting in their homes as they believed the series was cursed. Households with the crying boy reportedly had a high rate of fires, which caused some to speculate that the paintings were somehow setting homes ablaze. After reading the article in The Sun, many people were eager to get rid of the paintings, so the tabloid organized a Halloween bonfire to destroy the prints. Despite the purge, strange reports still surface related to this painting. Reportedly, BBC has an incredible BBC video of someone trying to burn the image, which seems to repel the flames. The next portrait is that of Bernardo de Galvez, who watches you. The Hotel Galvez in Galveston, Texas, is renowned for housing several paranormal entities. Chief among them is the spirit of Spanish military leader Bernardo de Galvez, who fought for the American colonies during the Revolutionary War. He died in 1786, but according to countless observers, his portraits that hangs at the end of the downstairs hallway at Hotel Galvez is haunted by a man's ghost. Dozens of guests have reported the portrait's painted eyes following them as they walk down the hallway. They also report cold spots upon approaching the painting. Another phenomenon is associated with the painting. Evidently, tourists who try to photograph the painting claim they can't get a clear photo of the portrait until they get permission from Bernardo's ghost. A paranormal investigation team visited the Hotel Galvez for this specific purpose and claimed that all their initial photos were blurry or distorted. Only after they had verbally asked for permission did they capture a clear image. Obviously, this painting doesn't belong in someone's home, but can you imagine that anyone would want it if that were an option? Next one, and the last one, is the painting of a paranormal photograph. 
According to a strange story in paranormal.about.com, in the early 90s, artist Laura P. created a painting based on a supposedly paranormal photograph taken by commercial photographer James Kidd. Kidd had taken a photo of a stagecraft in Tombstone, Arizona. Upon developing it, Kidd noticed something surprising. Perched on a log left of the wagon appeared a figure that had not been present when the photo was taken. Moreover, the figure appeared to be missing its head. After hearing the story in person from Kidd, Laura was inspired to create a 16 by 20 inch oil painting based on the photo. Almost immediately upon beginning her work, she says, she was struck with unease as to why she had chosen this subject. After finishing it, she hung it for display at a local business. Within three days, the company called her to return and remove the painting because the people who worked in the office claimed that the picture was moving on its own, causing papers to go missing and, in general, making people feel uncomfortable. The painting was returned and eventually taken along with Laura and her husband when they moved to their new home. The anomalies continued, strange minor occurrences that persisted for years and always seemed to involve the painting or happen near it. Laura told some of her friends about the painting and one of them doubted the story vehemently and demanded to see the canvas with her own eyes. Upon seeing it, she laughed at it. According to Laura, that night at the woman's house, a clock that had been on the wall for 40 years fell and broke into a hundred pieces. Finally, a friend took some photos of the painting, which is weird in its own way <laughs> given that the image is based on a photo. The friend claims he had laid the images out on the table in his home and that when he went outside, he saw a shadowy white figure that seemed to be missing its head. He got rid of all the photos immediately. I never knew there were so many haunted painting stories. And as they say, we live and learn. If you enjoyed this podcast, I encourage you to share it with others you think would also be interested. If you'd like to know more about me, go to maryannpoll.com and or authormasterminds.com forward slash M-A-R-Y dash A-N-N dash P-O-L-L. Until next time, may the wind always be at your back, the sun on your face, and the good Lord walk beside you.